Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, take your Bible and turn over to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. So I'm watching TV the other night, and they're interviewing Eddie Murphy. Does anybody remember who Eddie Murphy is? You know, like, yeah, all you old people that are, that are, what, 25 or older or something like that, you remember who Eddie Murphy is. Well, one of the things they asked him was, okay, you've got all these kids. Are your kids impressed that you're a big movie star? And he said, believe me, my kids are what keep me humble. They don't think of me as a movie star at all. You know, all they know is I've been making some animated movies, you know, Mulan and stuff. Since, since then, they don't know stuff uh, about my movie career. And I don't want them to watch a lot of the movies I, I used to make. But he said, this is how my kids get me humble. My wife has something to do in the morning, and she leaves early. And so my children do things like this. Not that juice box for breakfast. I'm not going to take that juice box. Why are you giving me that one? Mom cuts the crust off the toast. How come you've still got crust on the toast? I'm not wearing that. Mom doesn't take this, this route to the, to the school. Why are you going this way? We're going to be late. It's going to all be your fault. And he says, pretty soon I figure out I'm not a movie star to them. I'm their servant taking them and doing what they need to do at that particular time. Can anybody identify out there? Yeah, yeah a few of you. Well, then you need to be tougher as parents, you know, as, as you get out there. But what Eddie Murphy saw was, okay, a lot of times you think you're in charge, but you're really not in charge at all. And this morning, that's what we're going to be talking about. Who's really in charge of your life? And we're going to look at four different stories. Now, this is going to, uh, these four stories take a chapter and a half. Uh, they're usually one sermon each of these stories. We're going to throw them all in together. And the reason being is that these stories all relate to one particular thing Jesus was talking about. And that's authority. Who's really in charge? Who is the authority in this world? Now, you have to understand that these stories follow immediately what happened last week. And last week, what we talked about was when Jesus cleansed the temple. When he went into the temple and he ran out the money changers and he dumped over the, the tables with doves and he, 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 uh, he, he cleared all that out of the temple. And we said that was an affront to the religious leaders because they were making a lot of money. So he had just gotten into their purse there. He'd taken a, one of the busiest days of the year for them, and he had destroyed that. He had challenged their authority, the authority that they had in the temple. And so the religious leaders are really angry at Jesus when our scriptures begin over in Matthew 21, verse 23. So let's look down at that and see what happens. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him and said, By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? So we're told that two groups of people come to Jesus, the religious leaders, the chief priests, so this would be the people that are actually running the temple, and the elders who would have been lay people at that time, but apart with the religious leaders. And so they come to Jesus. Jesus is in the temple. This is the day after he's cleansed it. He's teaching, and they interrupt his teaching, and very angrily they ask him, who gave you the right to do this? Talking about cleansing the temple the day before. Who gave you this authority? 
Now, they're wanting to know this because they see themselves as the authority in the temple. They didn't give any authority to Jesus. What gave him the right? Was he doing it on his own? If he was, that was considered, you know, heresy. If he said, I'm doing it because I'm the Messiah, then they would have considered that heresy. And so angrily, they asked Jesus, okay, who gave you this authority? And then Jesus responds by asking them a question back in return. He basically says, okay, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. And my question is, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Now, the religious leaders don't know how to answer that. Because if they don't believe in John, they thought John was a heretic. They didn't like him at all. They thought John made them look bad. And so they didn't believe he was from God. But everybody in the temple loved John. And so if they said, well, you know, John was, you know, wasn't a, from God at all, the people were going to get mad at them. And if they say he was from God, they really didn't believe that. So they're kind of in a quandary. And so they say to Jesus, well, we're not going to tell you. We're not going to answer your question. We can't say. And then Jesus responds and says, well, if you're not going to answer my question, I'm not going to answer your question. But the question that they ask was this, who gives you this authority? And that's still the question that every one of us have to answer today. Who's really in charge around here? Who's in charge of your life? Where do you get your authority? Where do you get, this is how I'm going to live. This is how I'm going to behave. These are my standard of of morality. Where is all of this coming from? Who is the authority in my life? Now, George Barna, the religious pollster, just did a, a survey and very disturbing some things he found out. He asked the question, basically, you know, how do you make moral decisions in your life? And 38% of Americans, this is by far the highest group, 38% of Americans say the way they make moral decisions is by their emotions. How I feel at that particular time. Now, what's wrong with making moral decisions by your emotions? Has anybody here watched March Madness at all? (laughs) Have your emotions gone up and down during the game? Anybody here a Murray State fan? Okay, all right, yeah, yeah. Seriously, were you excited after the first game? Yeah, were you excited after the first seven minutes when John Moran hit three three pointers and had 12 points? Yes. And then the, then, yeah, then we stop right there. Emotion, thank you for being a part of the sermon. I appreciate it. Emotions come and go, emotions change constantly. So if your basis of authority and moral decision-making in your life is how you feel at that particular moment, you're going to be up the creek because your emotions are going to come and go. And so you have no firm basis on which to make decisions. The second most popular reason, 15% said, I make my moral decisions by what my parents taught me. Well, that's fine, but probably most of you didn't listen to your parents, so you know, you know, but but, and then 13%, only 13% of people say, I make my moral decisions according to the Bible and God. Only 13% of Americans. And then 10% literally said, I make my moral decisions on whatever's going to be best for me at that particular moment. So 48%, almost half the people are making decisions by either how they feel or what's going to directly benefit them in that moment, not a picture of what's good or what's bad, of what's right or what's wrong. And so a lot of us would say, if you ask the question, who's in charge, who gave you this authority, what we would answer is, I'm in charge of my life. I make decisions for my life. I'm the only one that does that. I'm not going to abdicate that to anybody, even God. I believe in God, but I'm going to make the choices for my life. 
But the truth of the matter is, we really aren't in charge of our lives, even if we think you are. At very early age, who is in charge of you? Your parents. They told you what to do. They kept you in line. They put you in time out. Uh, they did all kinds of things. And then you, had, you went on, and, and it was your teachers and your boss, and, and uh, you know, there's always some authority. I got a couple of pictures here of people who think that they were in charge but found out that they weren't. Here's the first one uh, right here. Do you think that young man is figuring out he's not the authority in that room uh, at that particular moment? Most likely. What about this next picture? Do you think that young man is figuring out he can't just do anything he wants? That that's not just the way that, that society is quite structured there. So we make a lot of different decisions in our life, but we soon begin to find out there are authorities in our life. There are reasons we behave the way that we do. Maybe we're following culture. Maybe we're following our friends. But we make decisions based on some authority. And we learn that authority pretty quick. When I was in school, you found out pretty quick that the teachers were in charge. Uh, And the way you found out teachers were in charge, when I went to school, what happened? You got spanked. They did applied, uh, applied psychology to you. They applied it all right, let me, let me tell you. And the teachers that I had, they, they were professionals. They had the, the paddles with the holes in them so they didn't break. Anybody remember those? Got to put, yeah, yeah. Those things were good. They, they applied that psychology to you immediately. And the teachers, you know, they'd say, oh, yeah, come out in the hall. Now, later on, as I got older, they said, well, you have to have another teacher witness so that you're not being abused. And, oh, the other teachers love that. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be glad to watch you whip that one, you know. I'll be, you know, we'll, they, they were lined up uh, for that one. But it, we found out quickly we weren't in charge in that particular situation. And you look at life and you begin to wonder what's going on, who's the authority, what am I following for right and wrong, good and bad. Now, Jesus answered the religious leaders, and he said this. I'm not going to answer your question because you didn't answer mine. But then he tells three stories with the religious leaders standing there, and every one of the three stories have to do with authority and who's in charge. And they tell us something different about authority and who's in charge. And so we're going to very briefly go through these stories. We're not going to look at them in detail. As I said, each of them could be a sermon in and of themselves, but we're going to look at the question of, How do these stories relate to the question that was asked Jesus? Who's in charge? Who gave you this authority? And the first story uh, we see is found in verses 28 through 32. Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. And here's what we see. True respect for authority is seen through obedience, not lip service. If you truly believe in an authority, you're going to show you believe in that authority by following what that authority says. Now, let's look down to verse 28. What do you think? Jesus said. He's just said, I'm not going to answer your question. But then he said, well, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? And the first, the first they answered, And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes will enter the kingdom of heaven before you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. 
So Jesus basically talking about authority here says authority is seen by obeying that authority. If you really believe in authority, you're going to follow that authority. So your parents can say, clean your room. If you don't clean the room, you're showing you have a lack of respect for that authority. Jesus' example here is is that very one. He says the guy had two sons. He says to one, go work in my vineyard today. We need extra help out in the fields. And the son says, I'm not going to do it. It's too hard. It's too hot. I'm too lazy. Uh, You shouldn't expect this from me. I'm not going to do it. He changed his mind later, felt bad about it, and went and worked. Then they had a son that said, oh, dad, I'll do exactly what you said. You're so smart. I want to help you. I'll do anything I can to help you. But then he never showed up. And Jesus said, well, which actually obeyed? And they said, the first. And Jesus said, yeah, that's exactly right. Authority is only respected if you obey the authority. So you may say you believe in God all you want. You may say, oh, yeah, I believe in God. I go to church. I've even got a big Bible at home. It's got all of the genealogy of my family in it. You know, it tells when great-grandma was baptized and all this kind of stuff. You know, that's how much I believe in God. I've got a fish bumper sticker. I've got a, got a cross necklace. You can't be more religious than I am, you know, when you get out there. But that's not how you say do you really respect authority. If you really believe in God, then that's going to be seen in your lifestyle, not in your words. It's not just going to be lip service. It's going to be seen in the way that you live each and every day. And then Jesus, you know, our series is called Troublemaker. Then Jesus, not wanting to cause trouble after he tells this story, says to religious leaders, well, you know, John came and you didn't believe him, but tax collectors and prostitutes did. They're going to get into heaven before you do. Now, the two people they hated the most were tax collectors and prostitutes. Tax collectors were collecting money for Rome, a foreign occupying power, and they thought prostitutes were very low on their list of of, of morals. And Jesus said, prostitutes and tax collectors heard John and repented. You heard John and didn't believe him. Therefore, they're the ones that obeyed. They respected the authority. You may be in the temple. You may be wearing priestly robes but you've shown no obedience to God and therefore tax collectors are more righteous than you are. So then the question for us becomes, okay, how am I living my life? Is the way I'm living my life showing that I really do believe in the authority? Now, my my hope would be that most people in this room would say that the authority for your life is God that you believe that there is a system of right and wrong and good and bad. There are things that you shouldn't do and things that you should do. And those are the the things that are going to help you the most in life if you follow them. But the, the solution then isn't, okay, do I believe it in my head? Do I say it? Do I come to church? But are you actually living it because it's seen through obedience? You know, it's, uh, interesting. The crocodile hunter, uh, my mind just went blank. What was his name? Steve Irwin, thank you, thank you. The crocodile hunter, uh, did anybody see what his, the story about his dad this week? His dad found a letter that Steve Irwin had written to him that had fallen behind the desk, and they were cleaning the house, doing a little spring cleaning, found the letter unopened that he had sent him the week before he died. And I want to read you what the letter says, just a really short note, but this is what it says. Probably one of the most, fort, uh, let me try again. Probably one of the most unfortunate things in a bloke's life is that it took me 30 years to realize how essential you have been in building my character, my ethics, and most importantly, my happiness. At 32 years of age, I'm finally starting to figure out in good times and in bad that you were always there. 
Your strength and endurance to raise me will not go unrewarded. My life for you is my strength, and the way I live is, 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 the, is, the, is the key to that. For the rest of my life, I will reflect on the unbelievable great times we have shared and that we'll continue to share in the future. You are my two best friends. So what was he saying in that note? He said, it took me 30 years to finally figure out all you wanted was my best and that the way you was teaching me was right. And so basically, uh, he's saying, you can tell that I believe it because that's the way I'm living my life now. And that's what God is looking for us. If you really believe it, it's going to be seen in the way you live your life. Maybe for some of you, you could write that same note to God. It took me 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, whatever, to finally realize that you were right all along and all you wanted was my best. You see, we think things like the law is something that's trying to hold us down and keep us in check. God didn't give you the law to keep you in line. He gave you the law of God because it's the best way to live. It's best to be honest. It's best to be patient. It's best to be kind in your life. And if you break those things, it's worse for you. It hurts you. And so it's simply trying to say, this is the best way for you to live. And if you don't live this way, then you're going to have the results because of it. And I only want your best. And so I'm showing you the best. And so it's seen in the way that we live our lives. That brings us to the third thing that we see in our scripture passage. And that's this, the next story Jesus tells. God expects fruit from his children and his church. If you really obey then your obedience is going to be seen in the fruit that is produced through the way that you live your life. Okay, I respect God as the authority. I'm going to obey him. But the way obedience is seen is that there will be fruit in your life from the way you live and the things that you do. The next story Jesus tells is down in Matthew 21, verse 33 through 46. I'm not going to read all this. I'll just tell you he tells a very... Uh, a sort of long story about the parable of the tenants. And it's an interesting story, and he's talking about the religious leaders in Israel and how they viewed God's authority. And here's how the story goes. He says there was a guy that bought a field, put a vineyard in it, uh, got everything going for the vineyard, and then leased it out to some tenants and went and began to make some other acquisitions and went back home. And when the time of the harvest came, he sent one of the people that worked for him and said, well, go collect my money from the vineyard that I've leased out to these tenants. And when they got there, the tenants beat one of the people that came. They killed another, and they ran another off. And so the guy said, I I don't know why they're behaving this way. And he tells his son, go and get my money from these people and find out why they're treating my servants this way. When the son shows up, they said, the father must have died. This must be the heir. And they kill the son. Jesus is talking about himself and what's about to happen to him. And they kill the son. And then Jesus asked the religious leaders, what do you think is going to happen when the owner of the vineyard shows up with all of his people? And they said, he will destroy those wicked people. And Jesus says, yeah, that's what God's going to do to you. Because he didn't want to make trouble. (laughs) That's why he's saying that. So what's the point of the story here? The point of the story is God expects results from the way we're living our life. If you really love him, if you're really obeying him, if he's really the authority in your life, then that's going to be seen in the way that you live and the fruit that comes from the way that you live. 
So I guess the question I would have for you right now is what fruit are you producing for the kingdom of God? If God is really your authority, if you really say you are obeying him, then what fruit is being produced in your life? In your family right now, how is your marriage different and better because you believe in God as your authority? How are your children being raised in a different way because you believe in the authority of God? How are your friends different because you are in their life? How is your workplace a different place because you're there and the things you do there? Do you gossip with everybody else at work? Do you just get by? Or are you the hard worker and the person that cares and looks out for other people in the office? How is your school and your class different because you're in it? That's what God's looking at. What's the fruit that's being produced? He says, you know, you can, you can talk all the time you want. You can say you believe. You can say I'm your authority. You can say you're obeying. But you're really obeying. There's going to be fruit. Now, the problem with the tenants was it was all about them. What's going to help me? What's going to benefit me? What's going to, to be the best for me? And that led to their destruction. And it's still true today. If the way that you are making your authoritative decisions in life is how you feel or what's best for you, I guarantee you, you have found that it has been self-destructive over and over again in your life. Because all God wants is your best. All God wants is to show you the right way and the best way to live. Now, the religious leaders, when this was over, really get angry at Jesus. Look down to verse 45. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because they held him as a prophet. And so this really angers the religious leaders when they're expected to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. So what fruit are you producing today? Anybody know who Matthew Boyd is? Plays for the Detroit Tigers. I guess we have no Detroit Tiger fans out there. All right, literally no Detroit Tiger fans in the entire room. All right, that's okay, that's okay. You don't have to be a Detroit Tiger. Matthew Boyd plays for the Detroit Tigers. Him and his wife Ashley are very strong Christians. And a guy came to their church and talked about uh, the sex slave trade in Uganda. And he was showing some slides and things. And one of the things he said was, as a matter of fact, just last week, I was in Uganda, the missionary was telling them. And uh, there were 26 young girls that were being sent to the capital city to become sex slaves that we were able to rescue off of a boat. And he said, at this time, we've just got them in some huts. There's, you know, we're trying to feed them and everything. But this is going on on a daily basis. Matthew and Ashley afterwards went and began to talk about it and said, that's terrible. And they found the missionary's number. They called him up and they said, we want to build a home for these people. And so they built this big compound for them. By the time they had the compound filled, they had three times that many people that had been brought from the sex slave trade in there. Now they had plans to build four other compounds that will house about 100 girls that were being trafficked in the sex trade industry, and they're raising money to build even more. Got a picture of Matthew and Ashley Lack right here with some of the girls that were on that first boat that caused that story. These girls were being sent over to become sex slaves in the capital city. And now Matthew and Ashley have built that home uh, saying that we want to be able to save as many people as we can. That's a faith that's showing some fruit. Okay, I not only believe something, I'm now backing it up with my money, with my life, and in the way that I'm doing things. 
What kind of fruit are you bearing for the kingdom of God? And then Jesus tells one final story, and it's the most disturbing of all for us. And it's in Matthew 22. Matthew 22. And it's a very long story, so again, I'll just summarize it for you. But it has to do with authority. There was a king who prepared a wedding feast for his son. And he invited all of the, all of the nobles, all of the wealthy people in the city, but they wouldn't come. Uh, as a matter of fact, they ignored his servants when they came with a wedding invitation. They laughed at them. They mocked them. This is the king himself inviting them, and they're mocking the king's wedding invitation for his son's wedding. They even killed some of the people. And so the king was so angry that he sent his servants out and the army out, and he burned down all of the homes of these people that were destroying his servants. And then he said, invite everybody. I don't care who they are. Go out to the streets. Find homeless people. Find anybody you can. Make sure the palace is filled for my son's wedding feast. And so everyone was invited. But when the king showed up at the wedding feast, there was a man who they'd been brought in uh, from from the, from the regular people, and he wasn't wearing a wedding outfit. And the king said, how dare you come and have no respect, throw him out as well. So what's the point of that story? The point of the story is, if you don't respect authority, and it really is authority, then there comes a time that there will be consequences for you not paying that authority. And that's the last thing that we see. There are consequences if you continue to, to disrespect authority. And so Jesus is telling the religious leaders here, if God really is in charge, if God really is the one that says what's right and wrong and good and bad and you're not, then one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to have to answer for the way that you lived and the things that you did. And so this is Jesus saying, look, authority is seen through obedience Obedience is seen through fruit, and for those who continually to flaunt God's authority, there are consequences. There's consequences in your life right now. The way you live your life is less and harder because you're making that way when you make decisions on who, what's best for me and what are my emotions. Because it's never going to, you're going to be wrong over and over again. You're going to make bad decisions over and over again. Can you imagine somebody that only makes decisions on what's good for them? They're going to, pretty soon everybody's going to see them as selfish and only out for themselves and don't care about anybody else. That's how they're going to be viewed. Or people that may make decisions by emotions, which is the majority of our country, well, pretty soon you're going to say, well, you can't rely on them. They're, they're here one day and they're the other day. You know, you never know, never know where they're going to come down on an issue. They're not reliable. And so you're paying those consequences right now. And there are also consequences that are eternal, Jesus said, if you continue to flaunt authority. So what's it look like if we're really bearing fruit because we believe in the authority of God? Last week I told you that our student ministry uh, had a mission retreat where they went throughout our community and uh, they did projects uh, in the community to help different people. Uh, I told you they went to a guy's house uh, who'd had trees down in the winter. He wasn't able to get the trees up because of health issues that he had. And uh, I want to show you a short video of this man interacting with our students after they had helped him out and cleaned his yard. And uh, so let's uh, see this short video uh, here. My name is Jerry Caswell. I've been, I lived in this house 40 years. I'm 75 years old. Got health problems. Uh, live off of Social Security. So I got no extra money. I'm doing fine. 
I mean, I eat good, but uh, so I'm limited. Uh, as you can see, I got overwhelmed here. Uh, <clears throat> I called a tree company and they wanted $700 to come and do this. I didn't got it. Every day I got up, I looked at it. I'm a proud person. I'd get out there and fool with it, and you can imagine one guy trying to do something. Uh, what I'm trying to tell you guys is I'm, I'm a humble. You have changed my life today. Believe it or not, you've changed my life. And I appreciate it. There's a, there's a saying, uh, uh, teamwork makes the dream work. And it's true. It'll come back. It'll come back to you. So I thank each and every one of you for coming over here. Now, those teenage boys could have done a lot of other things on that Saturday morning. They got up before 8 in the morning went out in very cold weather and worked in somebody's yard, uh, basically cleaning the yard out. They could have had a lot of other things. Was that the best thing for them to do? It would probably been easier to stay home and watch watch, uh, whatever. You all don't watch cartoons, do you? (laughs) Well, okay, some some of them them do. I still watch them anyway. But the point is they did something beyond themselves to help somebody else. And when they did that, it made a difference. And that Saturday morning will probably be the Saturday morning they most remember out of the next few months. Because it was a morning that made a difference in somebody else's life. We're talking about authority here today. What authority do you respect? And we're going to see when you start caring for other people, when there comes fruit from your life, you're never going to want to go back to the selfish way of living again. Let's have a prayer. Father... Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for showing us the best way. Help us to not only see that way, but to live it, knowing that fruit will come when we do. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to our hymn of invitation where you're being invited to what God says to you. During this time, you can come and pray at this altar. We've got ministers that would love to pray with you about whatever's going on in your life right now. You can come and say, I want to join this church and be a part of what this church is doing. And the most important decision you can ever make is the decision that that Tim and Michael made earlier. And come and say, I want Jesus Christ in my life. I want to follow him as Lord and Savior. I want to be baptized. But this is your time and your opportunity. First of all, uh, come on up, uh, guys. This is Marie and Roy. Come on up. Franco. And they are coming. They are... This is the uh, longest commute. They come from Costa Rica every Sunday morning. And so uh, that's a long drive, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) No, uh, they're here going to uh, Southern Seminary and coming to uh, move their letter from the International Baptist Church in San Jose, Costa Rica. And uh, uh, I can tell you that Marie is also a great cook. She had us over the other night, and uh, we really appreciate that. So... uh, uh, I'll come eat anytime you want, all right? So that, that's good. So we certainly appreciate that. Uh, they've already become such a part of our family, and we're so glad to see them here today. If you rejoice with them, the decision they're making, uh, say amen. 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 We look forward to working with you and all the things that you're going to do in our church. And then uh, come on up, Tim and Michael. I want to present Tim and Michael with a certificate of baptism. And the paparazzi is still going here, Tim, so turn around there. 
There you go, Michael. And uh, I'm going to ask if all of you all would stay up here. And when we're through, if you just come by and say a word to them, welcome them into our uh, church family and uh, let them know how happy you are that they're, they're here today. As you go out this week, realize that you live your life by some authority and that God only wants your best. And so uh, look to him. And when you do that, you'll begin to see fruit uh, and fruit that will last. Let's have a prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the Varguses coming today. I thank you uh, for their faith that's brought them all the way from Costa Rica uh, to here so that uh, they can have that training in seminary. I pray for them in the days ahead that you would just uh, help this church to be an encouragement and a family to them uh, as they go through this time of training at the seminary. I thank you for Tim and Michael and the decision that they have made. Let this be the start of of a, a good life that bears fruit for you. And we go out now, Father, and we go out in your service and for your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God bless We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.